I'm Jessica. I'm Sonia. And I'm Marie. And we are Opinionated Lushes. Like our name says, we drink too much and have an opinion on everything. Once a week, we get together to drink and talk shit. We start our episodes off with a question and a drink word. We usually never stay on topic or wait for the drink word to start drinking. So go ahead, grab a drink, any kind of drink, and get ready to laugh with us and share our drunken opinions. Please be aware that there are a lot of words used in this, uh, this yeah. time in the story. You may want to select a less strong alcohol or perhaps <laughs> alternate with water. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Books and Booze, the segment where we bring on extremely talented indie authors and they tell us about themselves, their work where you can find them. And mostly it's Domri and Jessica, but it's me and I'm <laughs> messing up already. It's fantastic. I miss you, Jessica. And this is where Jessica usually gets Domri to finish it off because even if she didn't, that's what I'm doing. Domri. <laughs> Welcome back to Books and Booze. Uh, today we have the talented Alice Hanoff. How are you, Alice? I'm wonderful. How are you ladies tonight? I am great. So we are all wondering, where are you from? How long have you been an author? Do you have any pets and what are their names? So I'm originally from Germany. So I was born in Germany and then I grew up on Peely Island, which is the most Southern point in Canada. And now I live in Waterloo, Ontario, which is where I went to university and just stayed here. Nice. Where is that little island? What province? Peely Island, it's in Ontario. It's in Lake Erie. Okay, nice. So oh, a boat yeah. That comes from Sandusky, Ohio, and a boat that comes from Leamington and Kingsville, Ontario. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you, you have to like zoom right in, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Nine yeah, miles yeah. by four miles. <laughs> Very small. Sonia used to live by um, Lake Erie, so she should know where that is. She will. I, I never, I never zoomed in that close on Google Maps. Okay, like it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your pets' names then? I have a lot of pets, and actually, we got a new pet today. Okay, let's start with that. Yes, one. yes. So we have. I'll start with the old. How long we've had them first? So we have an African gray parrot that is named Einstein. That's my husband's bird. Then we have two guinea pigs that are named Caramel and Coffee because of their fur colors. They look like caramel and coffee, the way I take my coffee. <laughs> and then my son recently acquired a butt ton of um, what are they called? Sea monkeys and 
brine shrimp. So we have like three tanks set up just full of brine shrimp. So cute. Because my son gets, my son is ADHD. So he bounces from thing to thing to thing. And right now he's big on brine shrimp. So we had an old fish tank. We set it up. It's just full of brine shrimp now. And they'll be there until he loses interest and moves on to something else. (laughs) And then today we picked up our new bird. We got a baby Quaker bird and we have named him Loki. He is our we usually have at least two birds in our house. My love bird passed away last year. And so we waited for our local pet store that does birds to have a baby Quaker in stock. And it's funny because our love bird had like messed up feet. So his feet were weird. The baby Quaker we got has a messed up toe. So Aww, we're just meant to, to be. Birds that, you know, their feet aren't quite right or we just love them anyway. and We don't care. So they yes. were like, take some money off because he's not the perfect bird. I was like, my love bird had messed up feet. He actually is the perfect bird. So we, we told amazing. our parent, we brought her a baby brother today. So we all went as a family to the bird store and we picked him up and brought him home. And he's already eating. The place was like, as long as he eats within three days, you're okay. And he's already been stuffing his face. So we're like, great. Hey. So he <laughs> just Knows, right? He knows he's at the perfect home. He does. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm very happy. He seems to be eating. We have to leave a nightlight on for him, which I think is adorable. So. That is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do the same for my dog half the time. So my dogs too. The power goes out. I need to sit with them with a the flashlight. <laughs> like they're ridiculous, but we love them. We do whatever yeah. they need, right? I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I treat my animals better than my kids. Sometimes. Shame. Yeah, we're like, we more better for our guinea pigs and our parrots than we do for our kids because our kids just won't eat them. Right? Our guinea pigs are, yeah, we eat all of them. My, my, that's it too. My animals eat better because my kids, they all have like sensory disorder. So they are super picky. So I'm like, okay, well then, you know, my dogs and cats and chickens get gourmet meals. Well, my kids are chicken nuggets and french fries. I feel that's so hard. My son is. My daughter is a picky eater. Our middle daughter eats great. And our son is actually what our um, the children's doctor referred to as a elimination eater. He has taken out entire food groups. <laughs> so yes, he, yeah. he eats a list of like 10 things. And I'm like, that's fun. So now we're bribing yeah. him with screen time to like sniff and lick things. So the most common sentence in my house now, is, Zach, do you want to lick this? <laughs> that's great time. though. <laughs> that's like, smart. Like, this. yeah. You can have some computer time. And so he runs in and he looks at it and then he's like, and then sometimes he'll lick it and sometimes he's just like, nope. And he's like, not worth it. Yeah. And away. But yeah, things you never thought you'd say as a mother. Can you lick this for some screen yes. time? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want to play that game? Come lick what's on this spoon, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you like yogurt. It's just this one's banana instead of strawberry. Come lick it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. Uh, like, you know, is the great. Color, if the color's off, like, it could yep. be strawberry yogurt but if it's not the same tint of red as the the same brand yeah oh my god he can tell our tomato (laughs) sauce if you try to give him any other tomato sauce except the garlic one he will know and he will not eat it yeah they like instead of like babies in like school you know how they teach parenting classes in school i don't know if they still do that but um because in Canada, the education system is crap. They're just taking out everything. Um, instead of, like, little babies that are, like, Wary, they should have, like, kids who are, like, super picky and will just, like, throw themselves on the floor screaming until That's- you give in. Like, that is the best type of parenting class that should be. Be like, you know, like, it's like That's its own chastity belt. Class. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, no, man. That's 
And then, and then you? when that class is over, hand out condoms as they go. Like, you don't need this. And truckloads. It'll be zero teen pregnancy. That's yeah. it. We're, we're like saving it. Canada one <laughs> temper tantrum at a time. <laughs> so true. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about your book that you're going to be <laughs> reading for us today? Sure. So I have been writing since 2019. I started writing the first book in my series on Christmas break. And I finished the first draft of it 19 days. And then I went on and wrote the rest of or at least did rough drafts of the rest of the series and have gone back and started editing them now. So currently, this is the first book that had the heart in the air. There's a prequel for it, um, The Spare Who Became the Heir, which you can get for free for signing up for my newsletter, either in audiobook form or in ebook or both. When you sign up, it gives you a link to download either or both of those. So get the prequel for free. The and we'll prequel... get that link from you. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm the worst. No okay, worries. No, but we'll get that link from you sometime before you leave or like through email. And then we'll put that link in the description of when you're listening to this episode, wherever you're listening. That way you can sign up for the newsletter and get a copy of that. I'll record it here for you. It's very easy. It's on my website, alicehanov.com. Right Beautiful. under the pictures of the books, <laughs> sign up for my newsletter, and the welcome email you get will offer you the downloads of both the audiobook and the ebook of it. And the prequel takes place before this book does, and it's the char main characters in this book at younger ages. So, my main character is a sorceress princess, half sorceress, half princess, and I guess half mortal technically, but her dad is a king. And so, the stories in the prequel follow her and the other. Uh, point of view character, her family's close friend, who's the prince of her dad's best friend's kingdom, um, Prince Aaron, and we get to see very important days in their lives as children. So you get to see the day her powers came in as a sorceress. You get to see the day she burned down a mill. You get to see um, the day she got her horse that's very important to her. And you get to see the dynamics between the groups of friends that each of the characters have in a very different way, and also see how they grew up. Because the book in question, uh, my elevator pitch is Royal Medieval Europe meets mythology with sorcerers. And my main character, Alex, it, the book starts off with her hidden in the woods. Because in the prologue of this book, her grandfather murders her mother when she's five. and Or just about to turn five. And so she is taken away by the other kingdom, her father's best friend. So her father is King Edward. And his best friend, Emmerich, hides her in his kingdom to protect her from her grandfather, but then the general she's living with, his house is burned down and his entire family is killed. And she's taken away by his oldest son to the woods. And she stays there until the beginning of this book where the general, the prince of that kingdom and her cousin, who's a sorcerer, have been sent out to find her because she's finally old enough to come home because her grandfather has died. And that's where the book starts. And the adventure is it's coming of age. It's got because, you know, clearly she's 17, she's coming home after 12 years in the woods, needing to adjust to life as a princess and a sorceress and learn what, decide what she wants to become based on what her father wants, what her kingdom wants, what everybody expects of her as a woman in this kingdom, and also what she wants to be. So it's a lot of coming of age, finding her place, you know, that stuff we all struggle with when we're 17. And then at the same time, there's Almost a love 40. story. Exactly. <laughs> there's a love story to it. There's a lot of action and chaos and so many secrets. Like her mother, like the power that her line has for sorcerers is premonition. And her mother knew so many things and didn't tell anybody. It's just delightful. So many dark, <laughs> twisted family secrets. 
We love that. Yes, I love it as well. And it's so much fun. And there's a love story to it. And it's just a blast. And the relationships between her and what I call her brothers, the two boys in the camp she was closest with, the general's son, and then the boy who shows up a year after they do, who she becomes best friends with. The dynamics with them is just completely delightful. I love writing them because they're so much fun. <laughs> Sweet. And so this book is out. Book two is out now. And book three is coming out in December. On December okay. 5th, book three will be out. And book four will be out next year, starting with book three in December. They're going to be released every four months until I finish the series. How long is the series? Do you like know already? Seven or eight books. It depends on how I break up the... I'm writing book six right now, and I'm at like 90,000 words. It will depend on if I need to break it up into three or if it's just going to be two big ones, Where whether it'll be seven or eight books. Nice. nice. That's exciting. That's like quick. Like that's a lot in what, a short time. Like that's phenomenal. I'm a fast writer. My editor always referred to me as a unicorn, that I write very quickly, but I also write well quickly. So it's not like I have to spend a year revising everything when I write it. It tends to come out quite organized and quite well. That's great. Oh, that's a really good talent. That's yeah. <laughs> I like Sonia, it. what are the drink words for tonight? Okay. So I have hand, Dayton, and night. Mm -hmm. So the night is the night as in? You know, a night like a night in medieval times. And Dayton is the name of the kingdom they are visiting. Warren is the kingdom that Alex is from. Dayton is the kingdom Aaron is from. And where I'm starting you in the story, you can see, is about this far in. And they, she's always wanted to go visit Dayton. So Aaron is taking her to Dayton after she was expressly told not to go to Dayton by her dad. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, you know, these typical 17 and 20 year old behavior. Dad says no. Boy says, so you okay, must I'll go. Take you. Let's go. Yeah. Boy says, yeah. I'll get you there. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No problem. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Pretty much. And it takes place. Um, it's a fairly long two chapter, but it takes place in a bar in the second part. So I thought it was very appropriate. Perfect. You <laughs> love yeah. it. And if it's so. too long, I give you permission to cut it down. Nope. We <laughs> no, will keep everything. Uh, we're just gonna mute ourselves. So okay. um, we're not like slurping, uh, belching, you know. Yeah. I'll yeah. add in in the book. It's in third person. It does not say she thought or he thought, but I will add it in for the purposes of reading because I think it helps. Yeah, whatever you're comfortable or want to do. Yeah, and right. I'm going to do voices. So yes, perfect. So whatever. That's exciting. Okay, I'm gonna mute myself. Don's yep. gonna mute herself, and whenever you're ready, you can start. Okay. All right. So we're starting on chapter twenty and the point of view because there. Are its dual point of view is with Alex. What do you mean they left already? The fireplaces roared to life around her, matching her tone. I'm sorry, Alexandria, said Edward, but Jerome felt letting you go was a bad idea after your vision this morning. And I agree. Edward rose from his throne and came toward Alex, his tone and presence more regal than fatherly. Why do you let Dayton order you around, she complained. If not Emmerich, Jerome, I'm a healing and premonition sorceress. Why did no one think to ask me what I thought of my vision? Edward sighed. Taking her hands in his, he squeezed them. You are still 16 and my daughter. I won't risk your safety, especially after Stefan pulled you out of that pond. Alex groaned. What if? May I at least ask Murloc to take me somewhere new to train? You trust him with me. Edward narrowed his eyes. Of course, but if I hear of the Princess of Warren being in Dayton, there will be severe consequences. Alex curtsied and left. 
She glanced around the hallway where General Matthew Bishop was waiting for her. His smile mirrored that of his son Julius, as did his rich brown eyes, onyx hair, and warm umber skin. Matthew, have you seen Aaron this morning? I believe he's in his room, your highness. Should I escort you? Thank you, but I also need to find Murloc. Matthew looked her over. Please don't be as overprotective as my father. Matthew nodded and remained at the door. Alex ambled down the hall to avoid being conspicuous, but once she made it far enough, she sprinted for Aaron's room. Before she even reached the door, it flew open. Aaron's mischievous grin surprised her. He was garbed like a Dayton knight and held out her magical emerald pendant. Ready to see Dayton, princess? How? Secret passages, remember? Aaron interrupted, winking. I expected your conversation with Edward to be more exciting, more yelling. At first, I was disappointed when you didn't put up a fight, but then I understood what you were doing. <laughs> uh, how are we going to get Murloc to take us? Leave Murloc to me. Aaron held out his hand, and Alex took it. The clamminess of his palm made her smile. Soon they were in the library, ready for Murloc to take them to Dayton. Alex smiled when Murloc took their hands. A crack sounded and Alex found herself in a strange looking room that smelled musty and spicy with a hint of campfire smoke. The main door was to the far left corner and beside it, Murloc had filled the entire wall with floor to ceiling bookshelves. Alex ran her finger along the book's spines, briefly forgetting about her companions. Murloc's books had trained her cousin Majesti, and soon they would help her. Turning and looking beyond the large table, Aaron and Murloc stood behind, she saw a monstrous fireplace in the farthest corner near a small table covered in pots. Along the wall to the right were many shelves covered in unusual jars. Alex loved seeing the matching jars. Nothing in their camp had ever matched. They were a gift from my grandfather, Aaron said, as though in initiating her thoughts. Great-grandfather, Murloc corrected. Questions? No, Alex said, examining a jar. She shrieked when it, she tapped it and something inside moved. <laughs> That's why I don't touch the jars anymore, Aaron said. Ready for your tour? Absolutely. When you're done, your highness, simply summon me. Alex and Aaron nodded. Murloc left them to grab a book. This room is amazing, she thought. Maybe I should stay here and learn something. Just then, Aaron's hand found hers and squeezed. And when she looked up, his piercing gaze made her breath hitch. Aaron opened the door and stuck his head out to check before he pulled Alex into the hallway. This door across the hall leads into the king's suite and the one further down into the queen's suite. Wait, your parents sleep apart? Alex asked. Aaron chuckled. Of course, all the royalty and Torian do. Why? Kings can be summoned at any time. Why should my mother be woken up because your father needs to speak to mine in the middle of the night? Alex frowned, staring at the doors. Why would you want to be away from the person you love? Did my parents sleep apart? She wondered. I'm not doing it, Alex said. Not doing what? Alex whipped around so fast her chestnut curls flew over her shoulder in front of her dress. When I'm getting married, I expect my husband to be at my side day and night. I'm going to be the ruling royal. Aaron scoffed. What if your husband disagrees with that decision? Her cheeks burned. I'll just have to convince him otherwise. <laughs> Aaron's eyes widened. He rubbed the back of his neck and cleared his throat. We should get you changed for that tour. <laughs> Alex followed Aaron, trying to take everything in. Her ancestors had decorated Warren's castle with beautiful art, stunning tapestries, and paintings from all over Torian. Dayton, by comparison, was a sparsely decorated fortress. Aaron soon glanced down the next hallway, and when he serendipitously reached back, Alex took his hand before he hurried them into the spiral stair. As they climbed the stairs, Alex was drawn to the bedroom in the first landing. Is this Daniel's room? 
Alex faced Aaron and he nodded, tears welling in his eyes. I'm sorry. Aaron's hand slid her across her lower back and she let him lead her on. Aaron's room was on the top floor. Murloc and Majesta have the East Tower. Daniel and I have the West. Murloc and your mother put protection spells on it after an incident occurred with the third tower, Aaron said. Alex giggled. You mean when Majesti burned it down while he was learning to wield his magical gifts? Aaron shrugged playfully and leaned against the wall beside the stairs. The room was spotless and smelled like the woods. Aaron seemed lost in thought. What is it? Nothing important. Tell me anyway, Alex said, squatting down to pet his bear rug for a moment before moving to examine his elaborately carved wardrobe. I just never thought. So you admit you don't think? Alex interrupted, eyebrows raised. Aaron laughed. No. I never thought you'd be here, he said, shooing her out of his wardrobe. Alex slipped past him and went to the bookshelf across the room. It's impressive. A bookshelf that curves along a wall? Murloc helped. Alex flipped through a book before returning it to the bookshelf. After she f walked her fingers across his crown table, tracing a worn circle on the wood, her gaze stopped at his bed. Do you make your own bed? What do you mean? It always looks like this. Aaron moved in close behind her. Alex could feel the heat coming off him. Turning, she leaned down and ruffled his quilt without breaking eye contact. Aaron's nose pinched and Alex laughed. Thought so. Uptight Dayton men and your meticulously made beds. Stefan's the same. What about Michael? Never. <laughs> so he's not from Dayton then. <laughs> Aaron said. Probably not, Alex said. She waited a long while before she asked, have you had many maidens in your room? Some, Aaron replied, too busy picking out his clothes to look at her. Alex winced. How many is some? These are clean, he said, placing a shirt and pants on the bed. We'll need you to look the part if we're going to have fun today. He took her pendant out of his pocket and laid it on the shirt before heading to the stairs. Alex caught his arm. I need your help. Can you loosen my dress? Aaron's face flushed, but he nodded. And so Alex turned around. It took him a while to figure out how to loosen the corset. Is that enough? It is. Thank you. I'll wait for you outside Aaron, Daniel's room, Aaron said as he hurried down the stairs. Alex put on Aaron's clothes and followed the way he had gone, disguised by her pendant. For those who don't know and haven't read the book, Alex has a pendant and when she wears it, it makes her look like a boy. That's important to know. <laughs> Alex put on Aaron's clothes and followed the way he'd gone, disguised by her pendant. They're huge. Maybe we should find you something else, Aaron said, looking her up and down. I'm used to loose clothes when I'm a boy. Besides, it isn't my clothes that gives me away, it's my hair. To me, it's still here. So even if you don't see it, if I play with it, it looks. Alex smiled and wiggled her fingers in the air. What are you doing? Twirling my braid. <laughs> see? Aaron laughed and Alex smiled, waiting for the plan. The only part of you that doesn't change is those eyes. Do you know how intimidating your stare is? I've been told that before. Michael always says it's the color. In the camp, everyone had blue or brown eyes, so my green made them feel like the forest was watching them. Now quit stalling. I want to see Dayton. Chapter 21, this is an Aaron's point of view. Aaron tried to hold back a chuckle, but failed. When the sound left him, Alex's eyes narrowed and her nose scrunched. Aaron's heart raced at the expression he recognized from their childhood. She made that face every time he disagreed with her. Even when she was wearing his oversized training clothes, every gesture and mannerism flooded him with memories. Memories of who she'd been and what she'd meant to him, even when he was too young to understand it. And despite the pendant that hid her figure and changed her hair, her eyes and smile wouldn't change. They were still Alex. He shook his head to break her spell over him. A few rules. Alex's eyes softened and her smile grew, such as, You're a boy right now, so I can't hold your hand once other people are around. Alex snorted and crossed her arms. I'm used to that one. Next. 
Dayton isn't Warren, so you can't wander off without me. Some of our knights have tempers, and if you anger someone, it can lead to a fight. If anything were to happen to you, Alex rolled her eyes and moved towards him. Yes, yes, yes. If anything happens to me, my father will have your head. Aaron touched her elbow, and she stopped exhaling loudly. Edward loves me and says you can take care of yourself, Aaron said. But that won't matter to my father. You're a princess, his best friend's daughter, and that makes you our responsibility as long as you're in Dayton. If anything happens to you, I might find myself exiled back to Dayton until our party. Alex's eyes widened and she sucked her breath before she diverted her eyes from him. That suggestion upsets you, Aaron thought. Does the idea of me being sent away bother you? Because it terrifies me. I don't want to be taken away from you. If being so close to you is just as terrifying, you were supposed to be his. It feels wrong how much you mean to me. What else? Alex asked, snapping him out of his spiraling thoughts. Jessica will hate me for this, but don't be polite and don't move so gracefully. Your ladies have done an excellent job teaching you to move like a princess, but it draws attention. Stomp when you walk and maybe scratch yourself randomly. Ew, who's paying attention to how I walk? A mischievous smile crossed Alex's face. I'm not answering that, he thought. Try not to question or say anything that would be awkward for me to answer as a boy. When Alex giggled, Aaron grabbed her hands and drew her closer so she'd see how serious he was. I mean it. My father's men are rough, and Dayton is a military power. Don't give them a reason to really look at you. Alex slunk back a little, pulling her hands from his. Maybe this wasn't a good idea. Aaron cupped her cheek, and she trembled at his touch. You can change your mind anytime. Just say the words, and I'll bring you back here. Until then, let that scrappy girl Michael raves about take charge, and let's see if we can't find if we can't refresh some of those forgotten childhood memories. Aaron bowed slightly and held his hand out to her. Alex's face scrunched and Aaron suspected she was biting her cheek, but waited patiently. You'll make sure nothing happens, she asked. I'll protect you. You have my word. As long as you're by my side, I will protect you. Alex grabbed his hand and Aaron led her down the spiral stairs. They rushed past the main floor landing and continued down into the basement. Stale air filled their lungs and noses, dripped a dripping sound came from the dark hallway to the right. Ignoring the dank air, Aaron gripped Alex's hand tighter and crept forward. <laughs> she peered down the lit hallway in front of them to make sure the coast was clear. Alex trembled again, looking down one of the pitch black hallways. Aaron could see only blackness, but the hair on her arm bristled. He tugged her hand and brought her focus back to him. Ready? Alex glanced at the darkness one last time and nodded. Aaron grabbed a torch from the wall and they scurried down the main hall until the first bend then turned down a very dark hallway. The only sounds were their rapid breaths and the occasional drip of water. Alex's grip on Aaron's hand tightened, so he gave her a reassuring squeeze as they rounded the last corner. It's a door, Alex said. A special door, Aaron corrected. He placed his palm on the middle of the old wooden door. What are you doing? We're taking the secret passage out of the castle so no one will see us, he said. Let's see what you think of our magical tunnel. He turned to the door and spoke. Door, door, below the floor, let me through and tell no more. Alex giggle, Alex's giggle echoed down the narrow stone hallway behind them. When the old door swung open on its own, Alex's laughter stilt. The torches lining the narrow passageway behind the door sprung to life, and a strong wind rushed through the tunnel and extinguished a few of them, but they quickly relit themselves. Alex's mouth opened and her eyes went wide when she stepped into the doorway. The torch light sparkled in her emerald eyes. I wanted to surprise you, Aaron said. The dirt tunnel was so narrow, they had to walk in single file. Alex moved aside to let Aaron lead the way. It smelled earthy, and the sound of rumbling water was dangerously close. Where are we? Alex whispered. Underneath the moat, Aaron said. There are several passages that take you various distances outside the castle. 
Are they all magically locked? They are. Every member of the castle staff has to know the poems of at least two doors on opposite sides. Senior members in the royal family have to know them all. Daniel made it a game for me when I was learning them. My favorite one is, East is the rise, West hold the skies. Let me be free of your cursed lies. Alex laughed. That's ridiculous. They all are. I think that was the point. The sillier the rhyme, the easier to remember. In a crisis, you don't want to be struggling to remember some old rambling poem. They reached a set of stairs with the door at the top. Aaron went ahead, but the door was stuck. Locking his hands together, he slammed the door with his shoulder. He nearly fell through when the door burst open, catching himself before climbing over the door frame and reaching for Alex. She took his hand, but still tripped climbing out of the door. Without thinking, Aaron grabbed her arm and pulled her to him. Alex's cheeks went almost as red as the Dayton tunic she was wearing. Sorry, Aaron stepped back. Thank you. Alex tugged on her necklace and turned away from Aaron. Where are we? Near the old stables. They were standing in a large overgrown clearing. The weeds were up to Alex's waist, and the oak and pine trees, now a decade old, were twice the height of Aaron. These are the stables Dayton used when we were little and Daniel was alive. The one he died in. A hand grabs grasped his and squeezed. Aaron turned to Alex and her eyes were scanning the plants all around the clearing. He looked at their hands and smiled. No one will find us here. When he interlaced their fingers, the scent of wildflowers and sea air hit him. Only a few flowers bloomed around them. The scent was coming off Alex. Drawing closer to her, he recognized the smell of the Warren Gardens. They wandered in silence in search of the old path towards the stables. More than once, Alex glanced Aaron glanced at Alex, only to catch her looking at him. Is that the path? Alex asked, pointing towards a rocky patch Aaron hadn't noticed. They headed down and quickly found the four crumbling stables. Abandoned for over a decade, the first three were covered in vines and thorns, and a tree had grown through the closest one. Behind them was the burned skeleton of the fourth structure. Aaron squeezed Alex's hand. <laughs> Is that... She started. Aaron nodded and they moved toward the stable. He let Alex go ahead of him and watched in awe. Plants swayed to the side, clearing the path for her as she led them down the remains of the stable. Aaron held his breath when they reached the place where Daniel had died. He swallowed the pain and rage rising inside him, trying to focus on Alex. Being here could help her remember before, when she was ours and we were hers and nothing would come between us, he thought. When they were next to the building, Alex tugged on her shirt hem. She trembled slightly, stepped forward, and moved her hand onto the burned wood. Aaron followed a step behind, letting her explore. Seeing this place made him afraid his nightmares would return. He shuddered, all those nights so long ago, waking up scared and alone. Alex exhaled loudly, bringing his attention back to her. He'd worry about the nightmares later. Right now, he wanted to be here with Alex, no matter how much it hurt. She'd shared his pain with him in the throne room. You let me see a part of you I suspect no, very few people have ever seen, so I'll share this piece with you, he thought. She wrinkled her nose and waved her hand as if dismissing someone, but Aaron was the only person around. He wondered if she was casting a spell when she did it a few times more, and still nothing happened. Her shoulders tensed as her frustration grew. Without notice, she shrieked and leaped back, tripping over a beam that had fallen. Aaron dashed to her. The surrounding air was strangely cold when he grabbed her before she fell. There was a rustling sound and all the plants inside the table shrank back into the ground, leaving it an empty shell. Is that what you wanted to do? Aaron asked. Alex nodded and they crept inside. Aaron stepped carefully, noting the beams that didn't look stable, while Alex marched right to the back without giving anything a single without giving it a single thought. She stopped at the last stall, squatted down, tapping her fingers against the ground. What do you remember? Aaron asked. A mischievous smile spread across her face at the thought of where they had hidden in the stall. 
that hideous blue dress my father loved to see me in, and a pile of your old squire clothes, Alex said. She turned to him, grinning from ear and ear. This is where I'd get changed, and we'd hide the evidence before we went off on our forest adventures. Alex bit her lip and then went quiet. What? Nothing. Alex shook her head. Tell me. Aaron tiptoed around the loose beams to get to her. It isn't what Jessica would consider an appropriate conversation topic. Aaron chuckled. Now you have to tell me. You made me tell you what I was thinking in my room. I promise not to tell your ladies if that's what you're worried about. Alex stared at him, making him nervous. Ladies didn't usually have this effect on him. I just realized today isn't the first time you helped me out of my clothes and into yours. She said, heat rushed to Aaron's face and Alex just grinned at him. She stood up and wiped her hands on her pants. I need to be more careful when I insist you speak your mind, he thought. I also remember feeding apples to horses and the stable master scolding me, she continued. He said I had to stop because they wouldn't eat their oats. He took my bag of apples and left. But as soon as he was out of sight, you gave me another bag. Aaron couldn't help but smirk at the memory and he shrugged. Our horses really like apples. <laughs> and there was a gray pony. I named her Dirty, no, Dusty, because she'd always roll in the dirt. So when I would pet her, dust would fly up. Aaron, Alex brushed past Aaron only to stop a few steps away. Her hands went to her face. I remember you falling on the pitchfork. It scared me how much blood came out of you and went all over the ground. It was everywhere. Aaron put his hand on her shoulder. It probably didn't help that Daniel had to leave you alone in here when he ran me back to the castle. Eh, Stefan got me. He took my hand and walked me back to the castle. Alex poked him in the hip and the heat spread through Aaron's core. These circle scars on your hip and back made me recognize you at the camp. Aaron's mouth dropped in amazement and he couldn't hide his excitement in his voice. You remember all of this just from standing here. Alex nodded, but her eyes were, had lost their usual sparkle. It's actually a little overwhelming. Can we go somewhere else? Aaron bowed and motioned for Alex to go ahead of him. She laughed and curtsied back. In her knight's clothes, it looked all the funnier and Aaron chuckled. They searched the tall weeds until they found the old trail that led from the stables into town and headed down the path. As they were walking side by side for several minutes when Alex asked, what is it like? What was it like? I mean, after everything happened, how did Dayton change? Aaron's heart stopped. How much do I tell you? I don't want you to feel any guilt for what happened here. I had to grow up overnight, Aaron said carefully. He pushed plants aside on the overgrown path. I went from being my brother's shadow to having Jerome as my tutor and guard. Honestly, I don't know how Jerome did it. The fire ripped his own family from him, and then my parents all but handed me to him to teach and train. My mother went into full mourning for over a year, and my father went to the front lines. That only lasted a few months, though. He didn't have enough fight in him, and he brought the armies back home. I thought we'd get back to normal, but nothing's been normal since then. So after he returned, my father started drinking instead of training and turned into the angry old book king we have now. Alex had stopped walking. Aaron spun around to found her with tears forming in her eyes. He went to her and reached for her cheek. Alex placed her hand over his and Aaron wiped the lone tear from her cheek with a thumb. She sniffled. I don't apologize. None of this was your fault. And if you keep apologizing, I won't tell you things anymore. Alex exhaled and pulled away from him. She lifted her chin and breathed deeply, trying to get herself under control. What about you? Aaron asked. I saw where you grew up and I met the lads, but what was that really like? Alex ran her hands over the tall grass growing along the trail. They walked and Aaron waited quietly for a minute and then two. He was about to drop the topic when Alex replied. Truthfully, it was hard. I was almost five and suddenly I was ripped from my family, my life, and thrown into the Wagner house with all these children. It was very loud and strange. Then just when I thought I could breathe again, the fire happened and Stefan and I ran. 
I don't remember how we got to Kirsch or even the camp. I remember feeling safe because I had Stefan and then a year later, Michael. But I didn't have parents. When I felt scared or hurt, Michael and Stefan were the ones who were there for me. I know Stefan's intimidating to everyone, but he'll never be to me. He's endured too many tantrums, kissed too many cuts and bruises, and wiped too many tears off my cheeks for me to ever see him as anything but my brother. I know there's a chance he'll want to come to Dayton eventually, seeing as the Waffners are Dayton's most respected Knight family. But I'm going to fight with everything I have to keep him in Warren. He belongs with me and Michael, as selfish as it sounds. For most people, home is where they grew up. For me, home is Stefan and Michael. A gentle sprinkle of rain fell, and Aaron closed the space between them. He could hear Alex's loud breath and knew she was trying to maintain control over emotions. I give you my word, as Crown Prince of Dayton, to do everything in my power to make sure he stays with you. As long as he wants to stay with you, and you want him around, I won't let my father take him from you. Thank you. They walked in silence another minute when Alex reached out and tugged Aaron's elbow. I'm getting thirsty. <laughs> a grin spread across Aaron's face. I have the perfect solution for that. He led them out of the woods to a small path towards the heart of the town of Dayton. They slipped between the houses through an old alley and emerged in a large cobblestone street. Alex's jaw dropped. Welcome to Dayton's town square, Aaron said. In Warren, the pier was where everyone went to shop, do business, and stroll with friends. But in Dayton, the town square was the center of daily life for their people. Everywhere they looked, people were milling about, shopping at the stands of food, food and goods, or lined up holding buckets at the center of the square, waiting to collect their water from the well. Alex spun around, unable to decide where to focus first. Aaron chuckled and snuck towards the fountain beside the well. He sat on the edge and just watched Alex take in his home. She glanced in the shop windows, examined the varied vegetables at the fruit stand, food stands, and listened to the merchants barter with the date nights. Aaron realized she was eyeing the style of Dayton women's gowns. She became so distracted by the ladies, she barely dodged the children running between the people in the crowd. Soon, Alex's eyes widened and she spun around with concern on her face. Aaron whistled to get her attention. She grinned and hurried over to sit beside him on the well. Why are all the houses so short? Can't you build them higher like in Warren? The houses in Warren are built beautiful and artistic, made to be full of life. In Dayton, we build them from the same slabs of stone as the castle. Each house is its own fortress. After centuries of war, our people have learned to take their time and build their houses strong. Even if a fire burned them, the walls of the house would survive and they could easily replace the roof. A multi-story house would need wooden beams and that's too much of a risk. Fascinating. Alex returned to observing the crowd. A few knights marched by and nodded to Aaron. If the wrong knight or noble saw him, word would certainly reach his father of their visit to Dayton. Aaron scanned the square and then nudged Alex. Do you want to get a feel for real Dayton life? She nodded enthusiastically, and Aaron pointed to a small pub he liked to visit with his night friends. Aaron hopped off the well, and Alex followed as they wove through the sizable crowd towards the pub. The lion's chest was a popular watering hole for his father's men, and with the Betruger kingdom's silence since they had crowned Prince Harold as king, more Dayton knights were at home, meaning more time for drinking. The chatter of the men and banging of plates and mugs was deafening. Aaron glanced at Alex, knowing she hated crowds, but her eyes were glowing with confidence as she wore an impish grin. The owner smiled at him and pointed to the back corner of the dimly lit room. Aaron spotted his friends and returned the owner's greeting. All of them were young Dayton knights, 
and had been present at his honor ride as a boy. Caleb Reinhardt, Lucas Oakes, and Hunter Aisley. This way, we'll sit with the younger knights. Their families have been knights for generations, so they usually behave themselves. Usually, Aaron shrugged. Depends on how much ale they've already had. Hunter is the one with the brown hair. He's the best behaved. Sit by him. They squeezed their way past crowded tables of loud, boisterous knights who were debating combat techniques and sharing stories of long-gone battles. Aaron, who's the boy? Caleb asked, giving Alex a quick once-over. New recruit from one of the small northern towns, Aaron said, pushing the empty chair to Alex. What's your skill? Lucas asked. His brown eyes were much less scrutinizing than Caleb's had been. Archery, Alex replied and sat down. Wrong answer, Aaron thought. Going to give Caleb a run for his money, Hunter asked. He leaned over and laughed, ruffling Caleb's brown hair. Who's Caleb? Alex asked. All four of the Dayton men turned to her. Who's Caleb? You must have grown up in a cave. He's only the best archer in Torian, Lucas said. Aaron pointed to the blonde-haired, green-eyed knight across the table from him. Caleb Reinhardt. He's won every archery tournament he's ever entered. Caleb nodded to her. This is Lucas Oakes. His father and brother are the world birders, Aaron said. Brown-eyed blonde Lucas waved from across the table. Last and least is Hunter Ainsley. Over Hunter's cry of disapproval, Aaron continued. He's one of the best trackers. My father brings him anytime he goes hunting. Hunter shoved Aaron in the shoulder and shot his hand out to Alex, hard enough that his dirt brown hair fell over his blue eyes. I'll grab his drinks in another chair. Aaron squeezed his way through the crowded tables until he was at the bar. Despite years of spills, spill stains, the bar was polished enough that Aaron could see his reflection. The face reflected back looked as worried as he felt about leaving Alex with his friends. You three better not say anything that makes me look bad, he thought. You know far too many of my embarrassing stories. Want me to send Riley to grab you another stool, the barman asked. Thanks, Helmut, but I'll get one. I'll get it. You're busy, and I know the men don't want to wait for their ale. Can I get five ales on my tab? But for one of them, water it down. For the little guy? <laughs> Aaron nodded. New recruit. Not sure what his ale tolerance is. General won't be happy if he's drunk as a skunk before dinner. <laughs> Helmut chuckled and called over a server. He handed her the tray while Aaron headed to the side of the bar towards the narrow hallway. At the end of the hall was a ramshackle pile of bar stools. Aaron grabbed one, tested it, and headed back when a blonde man blocked his way. I thought that was you coming in here. Aaron groaned. Wesley Raskat had been annoying since they were boys. But now that he was Emmerich's choice of successor, his cousin was turning into a bigger pain than ever. Dressed in the finest Torian offered, he moved with the prestige of arrogance. They'd looked delight since they were children, with the same blonde hair and blue eyes that ran through Emmerich's family tree. The more horrible Wesley became, the more their physical similarities aggravated Aaron. I thought you were supposed to be in war and trying to woo the princess, Wesley said. Isn't that your plan to save your crown? I just came home for a day to handle a few things. Aaron dropped his bar still close to Wesley's foot. And by handle a few things, you mean get drunk with your friends? Sounds about right for the sad excuse of a man you're becoming. I should thank you. This will help me when I arrive in Warren for the princess's welcoming celebration. Wesley chuckled and looked Aaron up and down. I mean, honestly, you could have at least put on a clean shirt if you were planning to wander around the town dressed as a nobody. Dressing as a common knight allows me to gather insights into not only our men, but their families and shopkeepers and everyone. I'd rather be will I'd rather people be willing to talk to me about their problems they're facing than cower in fear whenever I bless them with my presence. And that, dear cousin, is why you're going to lose your crown. Royalty in Dayton don't care about what little people want. They are beneath us like the dirt on our boots. They are here to line my battlefields and be fodder for the Betruger armies so they can protect my interests, he sneered. 
which will soon be Dayton's interests. Aaron crossed his arms, his lips turning into a scowl. I wouldn't refer to the man as fodder in front of the general. He won't take kindly to your low opinion of the man who have stood by his side for longer than we've both been alive. I don't care what the general has to say. When I'm king, he'll be retired and I'll make my uncle Cruft the new general. I want to keep all the advisors in the family, you know, family honor. You wouldn't know honor if it was rammed into your head. Now as for the Princess Elizabeth, you won't have a chance with her. She's exceptionally good at reading people and will see right through your lies the second you open your stupid mouth. You might look like you're related to the Dayton crown. You might pretend to fight like you were raised in Dayton, but where it really counts, you aren't of Dayton. We'll have to wait and see what the princess thinks of me once I get my hands on her. Resounding anger filled Aaron. His hands became fists, but he forced himself to calm his pounding heart. He's trying to goad me into revealing something about her to give him an edge. If he finds out she's here, Aaron gripped the barstool so hard the wood bent. The prince of a Princess of Warren is more than capable of deciding for herself who would make a worthy suitor for her. Now you may either get out of my way or I will make you. Tis, kiss, cousin, that temper will get you into trouble, Wesley said. No, it will get your face smashed in by a stool if you don't move. Wesley finally stepped aside. Aaron raised the stool above his head and squeezed through the somehow even more crowded pub to get to his friends. Anxiety filled him as his body tensed and he dropped the stool beside Alex and Caleb. There were five empty glasses on the table and another five full ones. I hope you don't mind we ordered another round, Caleb said smiling. Aaron chuckled. You know I don't. It's not as if I'm going to run out of money. Aaron noticed Alex narrowing her eyes at him. He raised his glass to toast hers and Alex did the same. Hunter tilted his head. Were you ever in Kirsch? I'm from Kirsch, Alex said confidently before Aaron could stop her. He raised his eyebrows at her, but she grinned mischievously. This could have been a terrible idea. Aaron took his first sip of ale and Hunter asked Alex about the various people in Kirsch until he hit on someone Aaron had forgotten about. Do you know Ian? Hunter asked. He's funny. Ian's my brother. But everyone knows I'm the funny one. When they toasted to Kirsch and funny brothers, Aaron relaxed. Alex knew exactly what she was doing. Okay, the next round is on us, Hunter said, shoving Lucas out of his chair. I'm going to go take a leak. I'll be right back, and then you're going to tell me how nobody from Kirsch got good enough with a bow to be invited to train with my father, Caleb said. The table shook as they stood up, and Aaron had to grab their glasses to keep them from spilling. Alex studied the table, and Aaron noticed her cheeks were flushed. Are you all right? I'm fine, Alex said, taking another large swig and finishing her ale. Are you sure? Your cheeks are red. If you're uncomfortable, we can leave. I didn't think there'd be so many people here this afternoon. Why would we leave? I'm having fun. I haven't been able to just talk to people since I got to Warren. Please don't make me leave. She squeezed his hand. Okay, we'll stay. Aaron put his hand on top of Alex's and rubbed it softly. Her rosy cheeks darkened a shade. Lucas and Hunter practically dropped the ale on the table, making Alex jump and Aaron yank his hand away. Lucas slid an ale in front of, Ale in front of Aaron and Alex as Caleb sat back down. Now I want to know who trained you, Caleb said. Caleb, no one cares about your bow. Stop comparing your dicks. I want to know about the princess. Hunter slammed his palm onto the table. Princess? Alex asked. The lost princess of Warren is finally home. Thanks to this troublemaker in front of you, Lucas smirked. He likes people to think he's weak or a coward to hide how resourceful and clever he really is. But now that she's home, our handsome Prince Charming has been in Warren trying to woo her with his legendary charisma. How's that been going for you, your highness? Alex asked, masking her smirk with her mug of ale. Slower than I'd have liked. She's stubborn and usually has her pain of a guard with her. They grew up together, so he rarely leaves her side. You mean Jerome's son, right? Lucas said. Forget Stefan. She's gorgeous, as they say, Hunter said. 
Words can't express it, Aaron answered. He refused to even glance at Alex. Do you think she's had experience with men? I mean, being on the run for so long, Caleb said. Caleb, Aaron said, but Alex piped up. If her guard is a Waffner, she was probably kept pretty contained. What does she smell like? Lucas asked. Aaron closed his eyes and took a swig of his ale. Flowers mixed with sea air. Did you kiss her yet? Caleb asked, nudging Aaron with his elbow, making him almost snort his ale. No one I wouldn't tell you if I had. Why not? Alex asked. Because I'm a crown prince. I wouldn't dishonor her like that. No, why haven't you kissed her? Alex let out a little chuckle. Aaron's face was on fire. You're going to pay for that later, he thought. Just wait until I'm around Edith and Jessica again. I mean, you're not terrible looking. Does she have a thing against blondes? Alex asked, biting her lip to keep herself from laughing. Alex is right. You seriously need to step up your game. Otherwise, that princess is going to have more experience than you do, Lucas said. Not all men, even Dayton men, are as honorable as you, Aaron. Someone with more confidence is going to get in there first and kiss her, Hunter said. You better make sure it's not Wesley or we'll never hear the end of it, Lucas said. My father said that marrying the princess is the only way you're going to keep your crown from him unless you suddenly turn into a completely different prince, Caleb said. Why don't you go practice on them? Hunter pointed at a group of lovely young maidens who had come in and were ordering at the bar. If you can talk them, one of them into your bed, it'll build up your confidence. Aaron glanced at Alex before hiding his face and taking a gulp of ale. You know we won't do that, Hunter, Lucas said. Our honorable prince has barely kissed a maiden, let alone battered one. Aaron choked so hard he shot ale out of his mouth and nose. Hunter laughed. Aaron, what's wrong with you? Since when are you so sensitive about our teasing? Aaron wiped his face with a sleeve. You're acting as if the princess is sitting next to you, Caleb said. Is she as powerful as they say? Alex asked. The question made everyone at the table look at her. I heard a rogue wave soaked all the nobility at the morning celebration of Warren. Was that really her fault? I heard she set someone on fire, Hunter said. I heard she breathes fire, Caleb exaggerated. Is that why you haven't kissed her? Alex asked. Aaron finished wiping his face. Yes, I'm worried about those wild powers. Extreme emotions seem to set them off. So who knows what would happen if I kissed her? Alex's cheeks turned red. She picked up her ale and finished it. Alex, I'm impressed you can hold that much ale for your size, Lucas said. How many have you had? Aaron asked. Alex laughed and smiled at him before shrugging. Four. There was a problem with his first drink, so we got Helmut to fix it. Then when you, we saw Wesley going after you, we gave Alex yours. Ready for another? Caleb asked. Yes. No, you're cut off, Aaron said. What are you, my mother? Alex asked, making the knights laugh. Knights laugh. <laughs> her cheeks were flushed and her eyes were full of mischief. All right, if you're fine, stand up, Aaron said, unable to stop the commanding tone that came out. Bossy, Alex groaned. <laughs> Lucas and Hunter chuckled while Caleb just watched. Alex slipped off her stool and stood up, tilting her head at Aaron and throwing her hands up. Aaron took a step closer to her and without warning, pushed her stool back with his foot. Alex yelped as she landed on her butt. Looking up at Aaron from the dirty and wet pub floor, she burst into pure exuberant laughter. It made his heart sing to hear it. Okay, the recruit is drunk, Lucas said. We did our job. <laughs> Do you need help bringing him back to the rooms? Hunter asked, still holding his ale. Aaron rolled his eyes at them. I'll be fine. He's scrawny. I'm not scrawny, Alex grumbled from the floor. She'd wrinkled her nose and lowered her eyebrows again, bringing to mind the girl he'd known. All that was missing was her arms being crossed, but that was impossible since she was using them to hold herself up. <laughs> Aaron waved at Helmut and pointed at the knights. Helmut nodded and then Aaron looked over at the boisterous crowd. The number of people had grown so much there, there was no way he'd get a tipsy Alex out of here. Alex laughed at something under the table. <laughs> he climbed on a chair, 
on the chair Alex had been sitting on and whistled loudly. When the knights and patrons realized who had made the noise, they quieted immediately. Thank you, everyone. I have a new recruit who has failed the inebriation test on his first day. The knights in the room all chuckled. Indeed, if everyone would let me get him out of here quickly, I would be most appreciative. In fact, enough so that the next round is on me. The patrons all cheered as Aaron nodded at Helmut. Aaron climbed down, grabbed Alex's wrist, and pulled her up from the floor. You're no fun, Alex slurred. I want to stay with the men. You're as boring as my father. Aaron tilted his head. I'm not boring. I just don't want you to throw up all over yourself. Hold still. Well, Alex shrieked when Aaron grabbed her around the waist and tossed her over her shoulder. No one tells the general about this and it's two rounds, Aaron shouted and carried Alex through the parted crowd. A knight held open the door for them and once outside, Aaron carried Alex around the side of the building and let her down. What was that? Alex tried to push him but stumbled backward and Aaron ended up having to catch her again. What was what? Aaron asked. Alex's breath was heavy. You carried me. I despise being carried. Are you better now? I'm fine, your highness. <laughs> she playfully pulled on a shirt. I like your crests. The lions look funny. No, wait, angry. <laughs> she poked one line and smiled at him. Alex, you're drunk. I'm going to take you back to the castle and you can eat all the bread you want to help soak this up. Alex left her hand on his chest. I like bread. Wait, you saved me from the bar. Does that make you my knight in shining armor? She giggled enough that Aaron just shook his head. Isn't a princess supposed to thank you? That's not necessary. Aaron started, but before he could move away, Alex pushed him to the pub wall, grabbed his shirt with both hands, and slammed her lips into his. She's kissing me. <laughs> Aaron slid his arms around her waist. Her lips were warm and soft, and she tasted like heaven. Gripping her tighter, he felt her deep in the kiss. Fair flicks, you're perfect, beautiful, fiery, and everything I'd want. But you were supposed to be his, and it's my fault he's dead. Guilt coursed through him, and his honor kicked in. And then the last little bit is Alex's point of view. I can't believe I'm kissing him. It's so much better than when I kissed Thomas. So much better than I hoped it would be. Aaron's arms gripped her waist and pulled her against him. The heat of his body made her head spin even more than it already was. Alex didn't want it to end, but was desperate for him to tell her he felt the same, that he wanted her as much as she wanted him, and that their childhood connection was still there, stronger even. But he pushed her away. She slipped and he grabbed her again so she wouldn't fall. Did I do something wrong, she thought. Is it because I look like a boy? Does he not feel the same? Aaron stared at her with an expression she couldn't comprehend. Alex pulled away from him. Her cheeks felt as if they were on fire. Aaron ran his hand through his hair. Alex stepped away from him, feeling too many things at once. You flirted with me. You touched me. But you don't want to kiss me? Am I that bad at it? Is it because you blame me for your brother? Alex's heart slammed in her chest. She felt sick and horrible all at once and just needed to get away from him. Aaron's eyes widened as if he realized what she was going to do. He lunged to stop her, but Alex bolted out of the alley and into the main path. Her stomach protested against her sudden sprint. Without looking where she was going, she flew out onto the cobblestone street and slammed into someone. Stefan caught her before she hit the stones and pulled her upright, recognizing her despite the disguise. Alex, what are you doing in Dayton? Stefan growled. Jessica and Jerome appeared beside him with identical frowns on their faces. Alex opened her mouth to reply, but all that swaying made her stomach surrender all the ale she drank. She grabbed Stefan's arm for balance and hurled into the plant box beside him. Footsteps sounded behind her. Your Highness, Jerome's voice was loud, low and quiet. The fury in it made Alex tremble. Did you get the princess drunk? Jessica's tone was shrill. Alex retched again. <laughs> when she stopped, Stefan righted her. 
If looks could kill, Aaron would have died three times in as many minutes. All three Waffners stared at him, waiting for an explanation. I didn't get her drunk, but I brought her here against the king's wishes. She was my responsibility. I was taking her back to the castle to get some food in her before we returned to Warren. Absolutely not, Jerome snapped. After seeing what condition she's in, I'll be escorting both of you to Warren. Stefan, make sure she doesn't fall. Stefan's arm tightened around her waist as his father glared at Aaron. Aaron gulped loudly before he summoned Murloc. <laughs> a, la a crack sounded. Murloc grimaced when he noticed Alex being held up to by Stefan. I take it we're going back to Warren. Jerome looked at Aaron wait before turning back to Murloc. You'll take them to the throne room while you and I return to get King Emmerich. The princess was explicitly told she was not to come to Dayton today. Murloc's usually calm face twisted in anger. You used me to disobey your father? I'm sorry. Alex whimpered. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There you go. <laughs> Yay! That was great. So what? After, after going through all those words, I'm sure someone else listening to this will be puking in a plant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe. <laughs> uh when i stand up we'll find out yes. <laughs> um, sonia do you have any questions i have a handful of questions i'll get through first and okay. then domri will do hers yeah um, i love questions all right question one do you identify with the main characters of this book or are you the complete opposite 
I do identify with them quite a bit. Um, as you heard in here, Aaron has a lot of memories about losing his brother. So when he, in the story, when he was eight, his brother died in a fire. When I was three, my older sister died. So a lot of the guilt I have of growing up without her and just the thoughts of like what we could have done and what we should have done in our childhoods together gets put into Aaron in that way in the story because I know that trauma really well. So a lot of his guilt over his brother's death and that is in Aaron. And with Alex, she's very much a tomboy. She hates dresses. I have a lot of that type of my personality that I've snuck into her as well just because I'm very feisty and I'm very weird and she's very weird and feisty. <laughs> That's my favorite personality, weird yeah. and feisty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's an awkward sorceress princess, so clearly she's going to be weird and feisty. <laughs> um, is there anything particular you want the readers to take from this story? Like themes and things in here we have, like just the trying to find your place and not letting other people dictate it. Um, there's a lot of growth that happens with my characters through the series as a whole. Like I know I'm writing book six right now and it's in this book, she starts at 16 and then it's her birthday in the beginning of it. So she turns 17 and in the book I'm in now she's 19 or 20. So there's a lot of growth and development that happens for both her and Aaron as we go through the series because a lot of the I know a lot of people feel that sometimes the characters do things that are a bit childish in here but I mean she's 17 so regardless of how adult you act when you're 17 you're still going to do something really dumb like yeah because you are you're still a child a yeah yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I like that about it and I think the big thing is that the takeaway for her is the learning to be comfortable with yourself and not feeling like what to do when other people are putting their expectations on you and how to stand up for, uh, for yourself with that that's a good message. That's, that, that's a great message. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really, like, I have a teenage daughter, so I put stuff into my books that I would like them exposed to. Like, there is um, a sexual, like, relationship in the book, too, but I write it in the way that I would want my 15-year-old to read it. And so the reason I write it in there, too, is that you end up with all the books that I read that are, like, YA, it's always, like, some really old fae or some really old vampire guy and some virgin girl my guy is a virgin too it makes it just as awkward as you would expect and it's delightful because I'm like everybody reads about the perfect all the time and it's not and so all my books have some really good message book two deals with consent book one deals with like intimacy and becoming yourself and not letting other people dictate things I also make it that she is the aggressor in her relationships as opposed to the boy so there's a lot of things like that where it's okay to have these different feelings and to live the way that you want to live. And it's perfectly fine to do that. I like Good. that. Yeah. yeah. To date, what has been your favorite scene to write? Oh my God. I, I wrote a scene very recent. I have two. I, it's kind of like my favorite quotes that I've written. So later on, there's another sorceress who shows up who, um, isn't there's 10 different kinds of sorcerers in the world like 10 different lines essentially and there's an animal one where you get powers like animals and this particular character can sniff people and like tell when they're lying or if they're not feeling well and that and so this character sniffs alex and she looks at them she's like we talked about this you're not supposed to sniff people it makes them uncomfortable and they go <laughs> you said i couldn't sniff mortals you're not immortal and she's like oh my god and I love that so much. And then there's a scene with her father where they're discussing suitors and potential husbands and that. And she's going over his list and she's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, why are you being difficult? She's like, I'm not being difficult. You have terrible taste in men. 
<laughs> yeah, it's hard for another man who's not into men to find good taste in men. Yeah, right? he's like, just looking at what's your title? Will you make a good king? And she's like, I don't care if he's going to make a good king. I'm going to be the ruling queen in this kingdom. I'm in charge. I want a guy who's not an idiot, <laughs> right. who's not like stuck up and annoying. Fair. Like, no matter what your type, not an idiot should be it, you know? Like, right. Like, just that's just the, the bar, and then adding on to it. Like, that. Like, two of the guys on his list, one, she pushes off a pier in this book, because he gets a little handsy, and she doesn't like it, so she shoves him into the water. Good. Handsy, and the other one, get pushed. The other one decides to kiss her when she didn't tell him he could, so she punches him and walks away. Good. He was raised by you boys. Need consent for that. Yeah, <laughs> like, he yeah. was raised by boys. Like her, like the character Stefan is the general of Dayton's oldest son. She was raised with him and Michael, and they taught her to hit. They taught her to shoot. They taught her everything. And so, if a guy puts his hands on her and she doesn't tolerate it, she punches several guys for that in this book. Like, good. Yeah, that's a good message. She's not and, afraid to yeah. either. Because at one point, she actually has a conversation with Aaron's father, where she's like. I'm comfortable with somebody. And he's like, if someone makes you uncomfortable, you deal with it and I will deal with them. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay then. <laughs> she just like waters <laughs> off. Because her, her dad doesn't know what to say. You know, he hasn't raised a child in 12 years and that. And his wife is dead, so he doesn't understand what girls go through. Whereas the other king is just like, anyone touches you, don't want to touch you, I will deal with them. And he's the scariest king in the entire world. So it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. She's like, delightful, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. She's like, all right, I will go around and continue punching people I don't like. <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, thanks for the permission. Yeah, that's yep. consent, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I got told by a king I can, so. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, what has been the toughest criticism you have ever gotten and your favorite compliment for your writing? <laughs> no, I'm more thinking about the criticism because I don't. I, like all criticism is tough in its own way but for me yeah. I look at criticism very different than the average author does it doesn't bother me because when I get criticism I look at it and I see is this a criticism that is their personal opinion about something like I had someone who said this book was written really YA and I'm like it's for 15 plus it's meant to be written this way so them feeling it was very YA was actually what I was intending so it was a criticism for them but for me it actually tells me I wrote what I wanted to write and so that can be hard. And when I get criticism and things from my editors or my beta readers, I know that all these people just want the book to be better and I want the book to be better. So when people give me criticism, I look at it and if I, I really look at it and I see, is it valid? And if it is, I take it and I use it to make the book stronger. Yeah. So I actually don't mind criticism. <laughs> so it's hard when you say, what's the worst one? Because I'm like, I don't know, because I take all criticism and I use it in some way. So yeah. That's yeah. A, no, that's hard. great. That's a good way. That's a great attitude to yeah. like go in yeah. on this because, man, you need some like strength to be in this business. Yeah. Like, and the thing skin. is, I don't love every book I read, and that's what I always tell myself. But I get a bad like I have one star, two star reviews, and I don't care because you know what? I read a book this year that I thought was trash, trash, and it was traditionally published. And I was like, who the hell published this? This is terrible. So I'm like, there were people who gave it a five star, and I'm like, what is wrong with this book? So it's perfectly fine. Not every book is for every reader. And if you don't love it, it's okay. When I review, like what I always try to do is at least say something nice. Like if I read that book and I thought it was trash, I, I really did. And I made a review for it. And I wrote in there and I said, if you like X, Y, Z, 
you will love this book. So, and I can see what the character was like trying to do or what the author was trying to do in the book. It's just not my thing. And I right. just, like, I figured it was a thriller. I read, I figured everything out immediately. And then the ending was really dumb where I was just like, what? No, that's just stupid. And it was time jumping and it wasn't done in a way that I could keep track of easily. And it was just terrible. So, but I had still had good things to say. I'm like, if you like a really weird twisty thing that has like this aspect and this and this and this, and it, you'll love this book. So I always try to do that when I don't like a book is to say it wasn't for me because I don't like X, Y, and Z. But if you love X, Y, and Z, oh my God, you're going to love this book. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's how a lot of like negative reviews should go instead of yes. like, this is trash. I hate it. Say why, like why you don't like it. And then like build on that. Like, well, it wasn't for me because yeah. of this, but you know, if you like these things, that's great. And I think a lot of people like the problem is with like reviews um, people are way too disgusting, uh, because they're behind a keyboard. Right. Yeah. And so they forget how to socialize. Like you wouldn't yeah. go to, well, some people do, but usually you don't be like, you're fucking trash. Okay. Yep. Like <laughs> you say, Oh, like, like Timmy, I didn't really like your presentation. Uh, yep. maybe like, like Susie over there will, but for me it was nothing. So like, yep. yeah, I think, yeah people need to start being more respectful uh, in their reviews because like you don't need to be so disgusting. I have an unfair advantage because I actually have a rhetoric and professional writing degree is my university degree. So I have a degree in criticism. <laughs> like, I'm like, when I write a review, I, I just, I, I took like four criticism courses as part of my degree in university. So I'm just like, I can write a good criticism because I have a degree in it. Yeah. Like, yeah, but my favorite review or my favorite comment I got from somebody is I have an, a reader in Australia who loves my books and her son um, hated reading. And then she let him read my prequel and he became so obsessed with my world of Torian that he has reread my books like a dozen times. I actually when she buys them, I actually put um, tape on the pages that have smut because he's like 10. So we, oh, I, I tape up the smut pages so that he doesn't get any of the like, and I mean like all, like he doesn't even want the kissing. Like he's like, yeah. like how my nine-year-old son is, right? Whereas like my 14-year-old, I'm like, just skip the page if you don't like it. Yeah. But my nine-year-old, I would like tape that kind of thing up for him too. Or when I would read it to my kids when I finished the first draft of this one, I skipped over those scenes when they yeah, were younger. Like, ah. <laughs> but so I, I tape them up for her and send the books like taped up for him. And he now writes like I write when he has to write reports for school. He uses like my sentence structure <laughs> because he's like, if Alice writes it, it's good. And if no one else, if it's not Alice, it's not good. And Aww. but like he hated reading and now he loves reading and he loves like mythology and stuff because of my books. And she keeps thanking me every time I write a new book that she can hold that over him where she's like, oh, you got to finish these books for school. And then I can buy you the new book from Alice. Yeah. And, like the comp that was the best compliment ever that it got a kid who didn't like reading to love reading. That was like that the greatest compliment great. ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think I'm ever gonna get a better compliment from that. Yeah, no, you you made somebody want to read. Like there yeah. is no greater compliment, right? Exactly. Like, so that's my favorite one. <laughs> okay. My final question yeah. is. What do you do when a new idea pops in your head while writing? Do you put a pin in it or you just jump right into it and like finish out that thought and idea and then go back to your writing or how do you handle that? I'm very lucky that I'm very focused on things. So right now, because I'm writing a series, I'm very focused on the series. Another idea did pop into my head at some point, but I just wrote some notes on a piece of paper in like a Google doc and moved on. Just like went back to my book because 
I have to finish this series. These characters, I live and breathe and sleep with them, like all of them. And I love them all to pieces. Like I'm going to write a side book about the mythology and the kingdoms kind of thing. That's how much I love this world. So for me, until their story is told, I won't go to another book. That'd be like so heartbreaking. Like once you're done, I feel like putting like so much effort into this world and then it being completed. Uh, my heart breaks for you. I'm actually writing, I'm gonna do a, a different, like I'm gonna do a dark romance when I'm done this one. It's gonna take place in the same world, but like a thousand years before, or like 700 years before on the other side of the world. So I get to keep all the world building I did. I just made the map bigger because my map has like, it's the map the way it is in the book right now. Actually, I can show you because I'm holding the book. Duh. It's got like this wall here. Okay. And down here. So I went and had a map made that fills that out. So my dark oh. romance is going to take place on this side of the map instead of the side my current series takes place on. But all the world building and the kingdoms and everything exist here. But I also know the timeline of when kingdoms were founded and everything. And I know big dates for the sorcerer world. So it's going to take place during one of the big events in the sorcerer world. And it's happening on this side of the world. So... But it's going to be adult romance. Like I love books with maps. Like I know you do. <laughs> I even have a sorcerer, like a zoom in of the sorcerer world map too. Like I have three maps for my world. See, that's the Forbidden Land, so you can see the territories of all the different sorcerer fan lines. That's great. Do you have like maps people can buy? Like if yes. people read your book, people can buy. The I do. Maps. I have little map cards, and then I have like a giant deluxe map. Nice. And, like, people can purchase that off your website. That's great. So I just like, I'm gonna do that after this now. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so now here, my questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> are you a plotter or a pantser? Mostly I'm a pantser, but I find that I plot after. Like because I sat down and I wrote the first five books, first drafts, I could then go in and put like plot things in that I wanted to like hint at later. Okay. So because of that, I wrote the first draft of like book one through five back to back. I wrote 500,000 words just like in six months. And then I went back and when I, as I changed things clearly, like the book five I have written is like nothing compared to what the book five is now. <laughs> but I knew where the characters were going to end up and what kind of growth they were going to go through. So then to go back and plot and put hints and little things in there. I have things in the prequel I haven't written yet and I'm on book six. <laughs> like there are hints in the prequel and in book one that have not yet come to fruition. Nice. Like that's how far back I could go and be like, that's exciting. Yeah. Like I knew where my characters were going and I'm just dropping red herrings on things back that far back too. Like, cause I said, there's so many secrets, right? Like you yeah. don't know why Alex obsesses a lot in book one about why was her mother murdered? Like she, she knows her grandfather did, but she's like, why would he murder my mother? And so she doesn't figure that out until book four. But there's still a lot of secrets that go with that. But she actually figures out what his motivation was in book four. But then there's okay. still so many more like secrets with it. And because there's like 10 sorcerer lines and she's being trained by her uncle, she doesn't know very much about those sorcerer lines. And then as she learns more about them, it gets more like complicated. And there's more secrets between all those lines because they all have secrets. And now she's trying to figure all of them out. Because I actually took different mythologies and put them all into my 10 sorcerer lines. So I have like, I have the line of Ares, which you can tell, right? Greek god yeah. of war. And then I have Cassandra, like the premonition Cassandra in the story of um, yeah. the Trojan War and Hades and Poseidon. But then I also have Merlin, 
Merlin came to this world. There's Salem. So the Salem witches ended up here. Mystics are based on Rasputin. The Tira um, line is based on Greek mythology monsters. You know how they have half human, half monster. Yeah. Well, they, they would occasionally have kids who look human and have magical powers. So that's where that line is founded from. And Mira is like the earth line, but there isn't really very much to do earth with. So I picture those like rock monsters in the never ending story <laughs> yeah. or from Frozen now, the Frozen yeah. 2 that throw the boulders. Like that's kind of where that line comes from. So they all come from like some different amount of mythology, which I love mythology and putting all that into my world made it so much fun. And so even like my, my kingdoms are based on a historical period of Europe a Greek city in Greek mythology, and a Star Trek race. <laughs> so when I write these characters from these kingdoms, I know what the tropes and the traits are supposed to be for them. So I did that at the very beginning. As soon as I had the kingdoms written, I came up with that. And then as I went and wrote through the book, I knew if you came from Dayton, you're Klingon. You're war happy. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're Troy, you're Klingon, and you're the Germans in history. So that's that's what you are. Whereas <laughs> if you come from Warren, it's the Italian Renaissance, it's the Vulcans, and it's Athens. So you are very forward thinking, you are very artistic, you are very like open-minded in that. So it really helped plot things out because I'm like, if it deals with this kingdom, it's gonna be this. If it deals with this kingdom, it's gotta be this. And it really just so I guess I plot like a handful of things and then yeah. I just pants the rest of it. <laughs> whatever works right but mm -hmm. like your your world is very detailed so that's great um do you have a ritual to get yourself into the writing gear like do you have to have a certain drink do you have to be a certain yeah. time of day nope just no, i have just three don't. kids and i work for my husband's software company when i started writing i worked a full-time job as an academic advisor at a university i would get up and write before my kids got up and then i would stay up till midnight writing i would write on my lunch break work i would just write whenever i could okay i still do that and if i have a day where i just don't feel like writing I have edits, I have marketing, I have so much other stuff I can be doing that if I don't feel like writing, I go back and edit something or my husband actually is my first editor because my family is from Germany. My grammar is sometimes a little bit weird because I learned English, German before English. So my <laughs> husband goes and fixes my grammar. So then I have to go and check the spell. I have to go like reread chapters and run them through a grammar program before I give them to my husband to fix my grammar, wherever I wrote weird sentence structures and that. And so if I'm really bored, I just do that. I go and edit those chapters for him to then read and review and fix, or I go through what he has fixed. Cause he also checks to make sure that my male characters sound male. Yeah. Like he'll be like, Aaron is talking about his feelings too much here to other men. Maybe he can say this to his mom or Alex, but he's not gonna say that. And he also <laughs> catches that Alex is very polite because she grew up like poor in the woods. So she says, please and thank you a lot. Aaron doesn't say please and thank you to people. He tells people what to do because he's a crown prince. He was raised in a castle yeah. where everyone did what he said. But sometimes I make Aaron polite and my husband's like, no. <laughs> and he goes, from, that he goes out. from Michael, could you please do this to Michael? Get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like oh yeah you're right about that so like I always have something to do but I just write when I feel like it and I, I will find if I'm mad or I'm really emotional I will go write whatever scene I need to write that embodies those feelings and then they become yeah. that much more emotional would you say which is harder to write or that you enjoy writing most would it be character development or world building I think character oh. development because the world building once you have your world building established, you can't really play with it that much. Like I can play with it a little bit, but once you have like rules for your magic system, I can't just be like, 
oh, there's this loophole. Oh, there's this loophole. Oh, there's this loophole. Because the people are like, well, why do you even have rules then? Right. But Readers my, catch it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, they do. Yeah. But yeah. with my but with my um characters, we're they're like they're human, right? They have flaws. They can act weird and like you'll be like, wow, are they becoming that way? Are they having an off week or whatever? Like yeah. you can make them do things that they wouldn't necessarily do normally and mess with them because humans are weird and we do things differently. Whereas because I have such a they, like such a really big world building, I've established so much of it, and I have these rules in the magic, and I have these rules within like the kingdoms and things. And you can't play with the world building as much. You can add to it, but you can't really like muck around with it. Whereas you could like make characters do really crazy ass things because they're human. You That's get someone yeah. drunk and they can like lose their mind. Like with Alex in this book. Her, she got her powers too early. She should not have gotten them until she was 17 or 18. But she had a near-death experience when she was 10 and they came out. For sorcerers, if you have a near-death experience, you become a returned one and then you get your powers early. And that happened to her. So she was 10 years old and had suddenly power over wind. And every six months to a year, another power came. So she was 12 years old and if she got mad, things caught on fire. Like I wish I had that. Yeah. I know, right? So when she was scared, wind would show up and blow away whatever was obscuring her. When she got sad, it would rain. And when she was happy, plants would grow. So, like, could you imagine, though, being 12 and you get angry at your brother and the tree beside you catches on fire? Like, yeah. well, maybe that, people wouldn't make me angry. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the kind of stuff, though, that you then get to mess with. So now even in one of my books, she gets so upset that she loses control of her powers again, despite the fact that she's now learned how to use them. And her brother's literally like, wow, it's been a long time since you lost control of your powers. What is going on with you? As it's like pouring rain on everybody. And she's like, it's bad. <laughs> and he's like, can we go inside? I don't want you to get sick. And she's like, I don't get colds. And he's like, well, then I don't want to get a cold. Can we please go inside now? <laughs> So like, that's amazing. you just get to do so much more with your characters that makes yeah, sure. Fun. It's true. Yeah. Um, okay, so you write right now, this is fantasy, and you said that you want to write dark romance eventually. Yeah. Um, is there any genre that you like are absolutely wanting to try after that or one you will not touch? I would never touch poetry. I hate poetry. <laughs> you're like already knew. You're like yeah. Too many university classes where I had to critique poetry and got told I was wrong for what I interpreted that poem as. Now I hate poetry. Yeah, that's like a problem with education, right? When, especially when the the like the assignment is to interpret, okay. and you're told you're wrong for your own opinion. That's so yeah. frustrating. You're like, no, then give it. me different questions, right? Like if no. if opinion is not what you want, give me actually what you want. Like yeah. I also feel like I probably would not write thriller even though i like reading thrillers i just feel like there's so much more funny i can write you like a, th a million words in a fantasy world but the idea of having to write a thriller in the real world is like oh no yeah it's gonna be so much harder because i can come up with like fantasy stuff like nobody's business i just pull like when i talk to my editors about my world building and i'll be like oh yeah so this is happening in book four and they'll be like oh um where did this come from and i'll be like oh yeah book three page blah book two page blah book prequel story three and she's like how how do you remember that and i'm like oh it's all up here it's a giant spider web everything interconnects in my head and it's all here i have a spreadsheet where i write it down but yeah. i rarely look at my spreadsheet i only look at it as like a double check when i'm doing edits at the end otherwise i just 
write everything because I know it's all up here. So the idea of having to do something real world, I'd be like, I feel like I'd forget the real world more than I yeah. would forget. <laughs> Especially if you're doing thriller and like, there's like law and then like there's biology where like yeah. if you're murdering someone like you would have to like the logistics would be hard this flatter exactly. yeah you yeah. gotta get that right yeah, yeah I, look, I had to look up a few injury things because there are injuries in my book but like i'm like i also i have an advantage my main character is a healing and premonition sorceress so even if she gets like stabbed she heals in her sleep <laughs> It's really yes. helpful. So I'm just like, oh yeah, she gets beat up, and, th and then he's like, oh god, she got hurt so bad. How sh is she gonna be okay? And the other sorcerer's like, um, she's a healing sorcerer. She'll be fine in the morning. Just let her sleep <laughs> it off. Just let her <laughs> sleep it off like a hangover. Why she's yeah. never had a cold because she doesn't get sick. She literally heals in her sleep. So it's like, nope. There. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Um, is there any advice you would give inspiring authors? My advice is always write it. Because so many people focus on it has to be perfect. No, no, no. Your first draft has to be trash. Yeah, mine is already still, and I'm only like 14,000 words in, and it's yep. trash. Just write it. I show people, I tell everybody this. My This is the book that got published is draft 16 of my book. I ran through it, and I rewrote it about three full times. But the thing is, from draft one to this one, two scenes survived. Oh, everything okay. else got like rewritten and the two scenes in here that survived was a dance lesson where alex um is such a terrible dancer she all her dance teachers quit and so aaron is the one who ends up teaching her how to dance and that was in the original draft that because his mother is from warren and she's a very high noble family she insisted that her sons learn to dance and she taught them to dance so he's all my characters have like a secret talent and his is that he can really dance. And so he's the one who ends up teaching her because he's not afraid of her to like step on his foot or set something on fire when they dance. So, you know, that scene remained. And then one other like conversation type scene remained from book one. Everything else got tweaked, adjusted, fully rewritten. Like everything else got changed, but those two scenes are it. So I'm like, if you write it, don't be afraid to just get it out because editing is the point of this like you write it you put it down and then you go back and you just rewrite it like you literally read a chapter at a time if you hate it you rewrite it and then yeah. write but the thing is don't keep rewriting that if you write a hundred thousand words and you have 50 chapters and you put it down and you go back to edit it a few weeks later and you hate chapter one you rewrite chapter one and then you move on to chapter two you don't rewrite chapter one 12 times you rewrite it move on to chapter two go through the whole thing again and then every time you do that you're going to find things that work better and that tie in. And then when you write something better in chapter five, you're going to be like, oh, that would work later in chapter nine. And you're going to find things to connect together and like make them flow better. But if you fixate on getting like the first chapter perfect or this perfect, you're never going to finish it. Never. And so just get it out. You can edit it as many times as you want. But just sure. got to get it out first because you can edit everything except a blank page. That's exactly. true. Yeah. That's true. You can't fix something that's, you know, not, no, there. not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us for tonight. Uh, do you want to tell us where we can find your books or find you? Sure. So my name on the bottom, my TikTok name, Alice Hannah Author, is my name on all my platforms. So that's my name on Instagram. It's my name TikTok. I have a YouTube channel that I'm trying to, I'll probably bring it back in December where I talk <laughs> about 
my books and my world building and also do book reviews of the books that I've read. <laughs> and if you are interested in my books, you can buy them um, at Barnes and Noble. I think they're on walmart.com. They're at um, Amazon. Books one and two are on Kindle Unlimited and book three will be as well. The prequel is not, but that's because I give it away in my newsletter. So yeah. if you want the prequel, you just got to go to alicehanov.com and sign up for my newsletter and you'll get the prequel for free. <laughs> Yes. That's why I can't be on KU because I give it away. Yeah, <laughs> I can't give things away and be in KU. So, wah, and book wah. three is out on December fifth, so you can pre-order book three now. And on November sixth, my cover reveal for book four is coming out. Ooh. That's exciting! It's exciting! That's so exciting! So everyone should go to your socials. That will be in the description uh, to be on. The Sign up for the podcast. newsletter. Oh. Yeah. I do a lot of giveaways in my newsletter too. It's fun. <laughs> so sign Perfect. up. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Alice. Thank you for having me. This was yes. so much fun. Yes. Nobody get so much fun. Yes. for reading for listening. Yeah. To read. Yeah. But don't worry. My uh, kidneys worked. I had to pee a couple of times. We're, we're good. Yes. Nice. Yeah. All right. You guys have a good night. You as well. Nice. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a new episode of Opinionated Lushes every Friday on all streaming platforms. And unedited episodes Saturday on YouTube. Have a cocktail suggestion? A topic of interest? A good drinking word? Feel free to DM us on Instagram or email us at opinionatedlushes at gmail.com. See you next week. Don't forget your drinks. And your opinions.